Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We exist to be a community that seeks God and serves people. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Well, we have arrived at the last week of our psalm series. I hope it's been refreshing for you. I know it has been for me. These collections of really songs or poems are just, they're a deep look into what it means to be a human being in God's world and what it means to look at the God who made everything and to give him praise and adoration regardless of what our life circumstance is. In Psalm 23, as we just heard, is this beautiful, poetic song. It's so beautiful that you can watch just about any TV show that has like some type of drama in it. Over the past 20 years at least, I can think of like several examples where this psalm has actually made it into like primetime television. It's quoted often. I think of the show Lost. There's this very uh, dramatic, intense moment where this guy who's struggling with drugs comes to this woman and says, I need help. And that he finally, in that moment, learns how to pray, and then he's still struggling, he's still struggling. You see this life of struggle coming all out in this sweat that this man is having. And all of a sudden, he encounters a priest, kind of the last person he wants to see. And what do you know, in this very scary moment where they're encountering some mysterious force on this island, instead of like cowering away in fear, they recite Psalm 23 together. It's probably the most, pop, arguably the most popular piece of scripture that is known to people who are either Christians or not. If you want to ask, like, what's a Bible verse you know? Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what people tend to know. Or they might know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. They might know John 3.16, or they might know Psalm 23. Those are arguably the most well-known pieces of Scripture in our society. So I thought it was kind of a daunting task to save this for last, but I also think it's appropriate that we end with the 23rd Psalm. It's so iconic, right? It's so well-known that we want to do it justice. But let me just explain this. I've called this the narrative psalm. So the format is just kind of kind of its own piece. You have uh, the paper there in front of you. But there's a reason I called this the narrative psalm. I don't know of any other scholar that's like, this is kind of like a, a psalm that tells the story. Because if you look at it, it does have a flow. It does have a structure. But I want to make the case to you this morning that this psalm is actually shorthand for the grand narrative of the Bible. And it's only six verses. 
It's a really short summation. It's a really short summary of what the Bible is trying to communicate to us. It gives us a very particular look at who God is, who we are, and what we do in response to that. That's what the 23rd Psalm does. So this morning, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of the background as to what's happening here. And then I want to think forward to what we can do to live in response to the 23rd Psalm. So I'm going to make a book recommendation for you. It's called The Good Shepherd by Kenneth Bailey. But he was a scholar who lived in the Middle East for most of his life. So he's very close to like understanding what it's like to live in the, the lands of the Bible. Like he just gets it because a lot of the people still hold a lot of the same traditions. They have a lot of the same occupations that they had even in ancient Israel, a.k.a. shepherding. And that's really what I want to talk about first. The first verse is what sets up the rest of the psalm. The first phrase that we get is, The Lord is my shepherd. Or, Yahweh is my shepherd. This is the, one of the capstone images of the whole Bible. That God is my shepherd. And what I mean by that is it carries weight in the Old Testament and it also carries weight in the New Testament. This idea that God is my shepherd. Because throughout the rest of the Psalms, Kenneth Bailey describes it like this. The rest of the Psalms describe God in such a way that there are names that you'd use for like, you know, captains in homeland security. Let me give you an example. Their homeland security terms, deliverer, rescuer, mighty fortress. Most of the Psalms and even a lot of the Old Testament views God in such a way that they view him as protector, a.k.a. like homeland security, if you want to use a modern term to describe it. They looked at God as the safe place because the world they lived in was not safe. Danger was around every corner. So God God is my shepherd can be spelled out like this. I wandered in the midst of beasts, dogs, and bulls that surrounded me. Lions opened their mouths and wished to ravish me. I was terrified, and because of fear I made a treaty with the Savior. Therefore do not be afraid, O my soul, for he is my shepherd." And I shall not want. That was written by Archbishop Nurses of Lambron in the 12th century. Someone who understood that danger always surrounded people who lived in that area. You know, most of us can live in relative safety. We don't have to worry about like a boar running us down. We don't have to worry about beasts coming after us. We might not even have to worry about thieves breaking and entering into most of our homes. We live in a relatively secure area, so I have to go to the lengths to describe to you that life was not like that for most people back then. And frankly, in the rest of the world, life is not like what we have. As a result, I think it's really hard for us to understand sometimes 
what these psalms are communicating. So we have to give a little effort into understanding, you know, just how difficult life was back then. Because the average lifespan, maybe you would live to 40 years old in that time. It wasn't, living till 80 was comparatively rare. But here's what's going on. In this psalm, it says, God is my shepherd. It's kind of a bizarre name to give to God. Because you know that no matter where you go, there's illness, there's thievery, there's wild beasts. No matter where you go, the minute you leave the comforts of Jerusalem and you go to this land called the Negev, which is like desert area, like anything, scorching heat can get to you. Like life is fragile. Why wouldn't I want to say God is my shepherd? Why would I want to say that? Why not say instead, God is my protector. God is my safe place. But against all odds, David in this psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not a homeland security term. Instead, it becomes the image for God in both the Old and New Testament. It paints a picture of what it means to be faithful and secure, to be obedient while also tenderly loved. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd knows when to lay down his life for his sheep. So I want to turn your attention to an image in the New Testament, one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible. It kind of brings Psalm 23 to life again. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 11. This passage is the embodiment of Psalm 23. John 10, starting in verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not a shepherd and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep, he runs away. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. A couple things about this passage. This famously has been a passage where people have understood, like, okay, Jesus is somehow equating himself to, to the God of Israel. And most people look at this phrase, ego I me, which in Greek translates I am, which is also the name that God gave to Moses to call him in Exodus. Most people say anytime Jesus says I am in the Gospel of John, it seems that he is referring and placing himself somehow in the identity of the one God. 
but I think there's actually a fainter echo of something else going on here. Like, I don't want to discredit the I am statements, but I also want to say that Jesus also does only what God does in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, who is doing the laying down? It's God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In John 10, who is laying down? It's Jesus. He's taking on this very purposeful action of laying down. But interestingly, he's not causing other people just to lie down, and he's not just putting them into green pastures. He is laying down his own life for the sake of his sheep. It really connects us deeper and deeper into the heart of God because you start to see that God is not just a mighty fortress. He is, but he's not exclusively a mighty fortress. He is also the good shepherd who lays down his own life. This is the heart of God on display. Jesus is the embodiment of God. That's at least what the Gospel of John shows him to be. He lays down his life for his sheep. He identifies himself as the shepherd in the, in the Old Testament Oftentimes, the shepherd refers to God, but sometimes it does refer to Israel and some of the leaders in Israel. Sometimes they're identified as shepherds leading the, leading the flock. But in this time, in this moment, we see that Jesus identifies somehow with the one God by laying down his life. Psalm 23 is a beautiful psalm, and we always want to quote it when we're fearful I don't want to stop you from doing that. Please do that. I love reciting scripture. I love praying scripture. I would encourage you to do the same thing. But I also want you to see this other angle on the psalm where it's actually reminding us about the nature of this God that we serve. He's the kind of God that will not just stop. He's not the kind of God that just says, enough is enough, I'm done here. But he goes instead all the way. He goes all the way beyond what is expected of him. Beyond what people could comprehend. And he does the unthinkable, he lays down his life. Just like the song we were singing earlier. There's nothing that can stop God's love. So I really want you this morning just to ponder with me. And I always think it's appropriate to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament because really the New Testament reminds us how to read the Old Testament. So ponder with me this. If Jesus is the good shepherd... How do you and I live in response to the one who laid down his life for us? And my suggestion this morning is this. 
Whenever you read something like Psalm 23, it's so well known. I want you to remember the whole story of Scripture. I want you to look at that and say, this is to remind me of something. What is it trying to bring about in my heart? This is what it's trying to do. This psalm wants to remind you that there is a greater narrative out there than anything we went through this past week. I know. I know this past week was turbulent. We can't deny it. I know that there will be further turbulence on and on. Politics, pandemic, you name it. All of the above. Both of which seem to get worse and worse each day. I get it. But if you look at that and you say, this is the grand story of life. I have to give everything I have to one of these things. You've absolutely missed the point. The point is this. If God in Jesus truly laid down his life, and that's a huge if. I'm not expecting you to come to that conclusion every day because sometimes doubt is real. But in general, if you can believe that, I, don't, I just want to tell you this morning, there is no other turning point of history. That's a bold claim. The turning point of history is not the invention of the wheel. The turning point of history is not the Industrial Revolution. The turning point of history is not what happened in the 2020 election. The 2020 election pales in comparison to the turning point of history. And the turning point of history is this. Jesus laid down his life so that you and I could live. And if he really did that, the world is a different place because of it. He's invited you into that story. Not to settle for these subpar novels that we encounter from time to time. But that grand story helps us inform how we live and act in response to those other stories that we see. You have to see this. It's beautiful. It's good. I don't want you to miss it. I personally don't want to miss it. The grand story of the Bible is telling us that Jesus is Lord and no one else is. But he's not just some, any kind of Lord. He's not ordinary. He's not the kind of person that bullies from the top. He's not the kind of person that insists on his own way. He is the kind of person that laid down his life so that we could live. He is the embodiment of Psalm 23. Guess what? I shall not want. I can eat before my enemies. I will dwell in the house of God forever. This is the story you are invited into. Don't settle for the subpar narratives that we see in this world. I'm not asking you not to engage them, but I'm asking you to get your priorities straight. Will you do that with me? Will you keep the primary thing, the primary thing, 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for hearing us, for loving us, for laying down your own life for us. We know you're not a hired hand who has no desire to be with us, but rather you are the shepherd. You are our shepherd. You care about each of your sheep. You care about everybody in this room. You don't ask us to come to you having it all figured out, to completely having our act together. But you ask us to come nonetheless. And we received that this morning. We come to you knowing full well that you love us, even if we don't deserve it. And we know that that means the world is a different place. Send us out, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I want to both invite you and send you. I want to invite you to a life, a life of looking like Jesus. Most of the time, it feels like the world is too daunting of a place to ever be like some guy who lived 2,000 years ago. But I just want to remind you that this isn't just a matter of history. Jesus is on the throne. It's not that he was. It's not even that he just will be, but he is in the present tense. So I want to invite you to participate in that life. If you have questions about that, please just reach out to me. Stop me outside. Don't leave today with your questions just staying questions. I may not have the answer, but at least we can pray through that together. The other thing I want to do is send you. I want to send you out into the world to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. You go. We go. The solution is not going to come from Capitol Hill. The solution is not going to come just from the laboratories that are working on the vaccine. For some odd reason, we, us, God has chosen you to be the solution to the world and its problems. So go in peace. Jim is going to dismiss you from back to front.